Welcome to Life in Translation, where we briefly discuss trends and developments in the translation and localization industry. Today we sat down with Tyler Smith, Director of Vendor Services at Questel. He's done everything from project and operations management to localization engineering to his current position managing vendor services. With over a decade of experience, Tyler's expertise in our industry brings key insights into how language service providers and freelance translators operate, as well as how they can improve. Why don't you take a second and, and tell us about you and, and your background, your credentials, things like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I noticed our stories had some similarities, so that's kind of cool. Uh, I, I studied at Brigham Young University as well. I studied Russian there. Uh, tell me, tell I, me some of your professors. Dr. Brown? Dr. Brown, I had one class from. I um, Yeah. Uh, Professor Solovyova was a big influence. Okay. You know her? Or, yeah, I um, in passing. Um, there's another one, Bald, and I can't remember his name. You probably... You, uh, oh, I, uh, yeah, Professor Kelly, I think. It, it might be. Michael I, Kelly. Uh, two of them I've worked with in yeah. doing a like a short intro to translation in their own Russian classes. So I'm, I'm familiar oh, cool. with that kind of program. Yeah, it's a, that was a great time. I, prior to that, I was a chemical engineering major, but between my freshman year and sophomore year, I served a mission in Russia and just kind of got sucked in, you know, love the language, yeah, uh, the history of the people. Um, what, where in Russia were you? I was in the Eastern Russia, uh, Vladivostok area. Oh yeah. And did you have to leave every few months to, to renew your visa kind of thing? Yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. I got a year visa, so oh, I had nice. to leave once or twice. But yeah, we would go down to South Korea to get a new visa. Was... Would you? Okay. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Um, and then like you, when I graduated, I I was pretty, I don't know, headstrong or naive. or I was like, I'm going to get a job that uses my Russian because that's what I studied and, and that's that, you know. So I did. It was working at a at a call center, basically taking sales calls, uh, okay. doing customer service for Russian inbound calls. Yeah, and I only lasted a few months at that before I decided to pursue graduate school. Um, I was looking into national security studies. Thought about right. maybe joining the intelligence community. You know, yep. um, familiar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a common path, I think, for yeah. for, some, for some of us in the language. Uh, education. So anyway, I was actually registered to go down to Cal, Cal State and do their national security program, but kind of at the last second, I don't remember the details. For some reason, I changed my mind at the last minute and went off to Monterey at, at the Monterey Institute and decided to study translation and localization management as a master's degree. And yeah, that's the rest is kind of history. I, you know, one of the things, my favorite things uh, about that experience was uh, I noticed that employers, you know, they wanted experience. They wanted experience over education most of the time. Yeah. And it was tough. Not everybody could get an internship. So I ended up starting kind of like a student run LSP of to solve that problem. So we nice. started localizing stuff for, for the school there. And, and that was, that was a great experience. Anyway, um, while I was there, I, was, I worked as a project coordinator also for a company called Media Locate, which is an awesome LSP there in Pacific Grove. And then yeah. anyway, and did an internship one of the summers for the Church of Jesus Christ in Salt Lake as a localization engineer. That was interesting. Oh, nice. And uh, they ended up hiring me after I graduated to be a localization en engineer there. And so 
that's kind of how I got into the industry and uh, ended up in, op, you know, doing some project management, a lot of operations management. And more recently, about four and a half years ago, got really into vendor management. So I've been the director of vendor services for Multiling, which was acquired by Questel about four years ago. Right. And it's just been great. So that brings us to today. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it sounds very familiar for sure. Yeah. <laughs> is Questel ISO certified? Do they have an, an ISO certification that requires you to do certain things as a vendor manager or in the um, vendor management, I should say? Yeah. So uh, our translation division is certified to the 17100 ISO standard Yeah. for translation services. Um so yeah, I, I think how that impacts us in vendor management is we have to look for translators who have certain requirements. Uh, they're fairly, you know, standard, but yeah. you know, degree in translation or a certain number of years of experience or you know, five years of experience, one of those com or a combination of those things. Um, and we need like um, ver like proof basically of their experience or or their um, or their qualifications. Yeah, uh, that's a big part of it. We have to track that. We have to verify that it's, you know, that it's legitimate. And then we we track that in our system so that when we get audited, we can show that the work was done by translators who've met the requirements. Yeah. yeah. That's probably the biggest part of it. And then, of course, just as part of the, over, the larger quality system, uh, you know, we're responsible for upkeeping documentation about our standard operating procedures. Yeah. Uh, so everyone knows how to do everything. Um, do you work with a team, Tyler, or or is it pretty much you that does everything? Yeah, so uh, I work with a team. Um, we are structured. We're part of the procurement department. So Questel has like an, a, a a corporate wide procurement department. Okay. And our team functions inside of that department. Uh, we're focused specifically on translation services. So we work with all the translation well and localization vendors. Um, there are other teams in procurement that focus on other business needs, uh, purchasing needs. Uh, but our, our team currently has five vendor managers on it and myself uh, as the manager. Um, and it's awesome. We, you know, we're located, we're a distributed team. I've got team members in Europe, Asia, Americas, um, and kind of makes it tough to get together very often. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but it's sure. a it's great. We just we just love the uh, you know we work really well together. I you know you gotta in that kind of situation, of course, you have to hire people who are very motivated and self well you know self starters and and willing yeah. to uh, be successful in that kind of environment. But yeah, it's a great team. Yeah, did, um, did the pandemic change that at all for you? Is it, would you be less remote if the pandemic hadn't happened? Would we be, what do you think? Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, it, on our team specifically, uh, we were already, we never were in the same offices yeah, okay. you know, before the pandemic. So we were functioning remotely basically yeah. before any of that started. So yeah. it really did not have much of an impact on us. We just can carried on. Uh, we're fortunate in that regard, right? I know that yeah. maybe yeah, things are not you so were already doing it. Yeah. 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 Um, so you've had the opportunity to live and work in Russia or, um, and working in translation. Are there any practices or mindsets that you see in other cultures um, that you think might benefit our industry if you were to if we were to adopt them? 
You know, that's a tough one. I think our industry is so, one of the great things about it is that it already exists in a multicultural, multinational sense, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. We're, we're interacting with people from other countries, other languages, all, all day, every day. That's what we do. That's the nature yeah. of the business. So I think it'd be hard to pinpoint one particular thing from one particular culture. But one thing that I love about the whole situation that I think maybe I'm going to flip this on its head, maybe and say that other industries could, could, could benefit from, from, from that is, you know, just uh, the, the diversity and the um, understanding that is required to work with people across yeah. all those different uh cultures, languages, time zones, and everything. That's something that I enjoy the most about working in our industry. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I take it for granted sometimes, honestly. And I talk to my right. friends who, who don't, you know, have that experience and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, I think that's typical for our industry, don't you think? I mean, that's what yeah. excites me too, is being able to work with people around the world, for sure. That's, that's, just in on itself working with people around the world is exciting i think and yeah and um and you know, I, you're it may, and the technologies that have improved over the last few years because of the pandemic i think it was, has helped only enhance that for us yeah you know i i think it's really hard to talk about anything related to this because of uh, stereotypes right i mean there's never a general statement that's going to be true for everybody but i think one of the things about working with people from all over the world is you understand where the stereotypes come from yeah uh, me personally i'll just talk about myself uh, uh there are many cultures that are are gifted i guess you could say about being direct i would say russian is one of those right just right. <laughs> get to the point whereas uh some some stereotypes about american business people could be you know that they're you know nice and or not nice but you know what i mean the kind of uh less direct i guess right and then well, so I've, i'm a people pleaser that's been a challenge for me but i think that's something that i personally have have appreciated and, and learned from from certain cultures yeah yeah yeah, my background, like I said, is German and um, kind of similar thing. Germans are are typically very direct. You don't you don't ask them how they're doing unless you want a response, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> where in America we wouldn't do that, right? We, how how you doing is just almost a greeting, right? Exactly. Yeah. Kind of, kind of same type thing in Deutsche Pünktlichkeit. You have to be where you have to be doing what you said you were going to do at the time you said you were going to do it. So yeah. I think um, it sounds like you've done some, you've had some emphasis in, in your work and maybe in your studies on root cause analysis. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, has anything around that been on your mind recently? I think it's always on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the things this is going to be, uh, you know, the, from the biased perspective of a, you know, a vendor management professional here, but, uh, yeah. you know, in a fast paced production environment, like exists at a lot of translation and localization companies, there, yes. there's just a lot going on and it makes it, you got to find a balance a lot of times between doing a really thorough root cause analysis and just kind of like moving on. Right. That's, I feel like that's a conflict that exists, uh, a natural conflict, right? I agree. Um, and so as, you know, the vendor management team, we occasionally will, you know, get um, 
a, a so-called root cause that's like, oh, it's just, it was a bad vendor, right? The vendor's bad. That was what caused this project to go awry. Right. And that's certainly a possibility, you know, that anything can happen. But, you know, uh, I think it's really important to dig further than that and say like, okay, what were the project requirements? What were the instructions that were given? Was there a term base? Was there a gloss or um, style guide? You know what? Yeah. You know, because uh, it's it's possible to, uh, you know, be sparse in your instructions and, and kind of get exactly what you ask for, but that's not necessarily what the client wanted, right? Right. And, you know, there's a saying that all disappointment comes from unmet expectations, and so I think that's that that's a big theme for me. Is like when you when if there's a project that has gone amiss or awry, um, it's important, you know, to 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 the level that's going to require like an, uh, uh, a post-mortem or something, right. Some kind of analysis. Cause we got to like go back to the client and explain what happened. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm pretty passionate about that. I, I like to, uh, make sure that, you know, part of our job is to kind of mediate between uh, the internal teams and the vendors. And so we got to make sure that both sides are represented there and um, we like to hold our vendors accountable. There's a lot of times where we'll turn around to a vendor and, and ask them to perform a root cause analysis and get oh, back yeah. to us, you know, and say, okay, let us know, let us know what happened here. Uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely a place for it. It's it's extremely important, especially if you're doing continual improvement as part of your you know your business. Yeah, um, there's always stuff to improve. You're always going to find opportunities uh, to make things better, and that's so important to get down to the root cause or else you're just treating a symptom and it will probably happen again. So would you say in vendor management, in, in the work that you do, um, you do a lot of root cause analysis is important for you and your, your team. Well, typically we're participants in it. Um, participants. You know, yeah. since we operate in a project based environment, it typically falls to the project manager of okay. each individual project to kind of lead out in that yeah. analysis. Yeah. But we also have an internal quality team that is able to kind of facilitate those discussions as well. Yeah. So we're usually, you know, we have a seat at the table and provide whatever information is requested of us and, and the vendors to, to facilitate that. How often are you a participant in say a postmortem, for example, on a, on a project? Well, you know, that's a good question. It happens occasionally, but for the most, you know, we're pretty lucky. We have our, our, our processes pretty nailed down. Yeah. And you don't uh, like have I, to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's always, there's always room for improvement and it, and it does happen. And we log those, you know, for our auditor to see when, when for ISO, when they come around. Um, yeah. So I'd say, uh, I don't know, a few times a year, probably for, yeah, a, okay. for a major one. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that you know, in most cases, well, no news is good news, right? And so um, if you're not participating in, in those, it, it sounds like your processes are, are well-established and, and running efficiently. Yeah, more often- quickly respond to um, things that come up that require an analysis, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, we have, uh, our perspective is focused on a lot of things in vendor management, but one important pillar, I guess you could say, is cost management, right? Yeah. And so we're kind of trying to find the balance between helping our teams in production using the most cost-efficient vendors, but that can still deliver the quality that our yeah, clients. Right? Balance. 
And so yep. um, we don't want to dismiss a vendor outright if they if they made one mistake. So we're always looking for patterns, right? And and only if there's a pattern do we really get concerned and, and want to like um, potentially address it that way. So yeah, excellent. All right, um, one last last question. What would you say your hot take is in translation and localization? Ooh. You know, I have to be honest, I kind of struggle to to feel like I have a hot take per se, <laughs> at least not like a super controversial one. But um, I will say I I I don't feel like this applies to any of the, the the translators or the vendors that we work with on a regular basis, but it's an it's a something that I see maybe sometimes on social media or on the internet. And uh, it's kind of this um I don't know, I would say I think that it would behoove uh linguists, freelancers especially, to think of themselves more as a business than a linguist. And I know that can be really hard sometimes because uh, the service that they're providing, which is language service, that's part of their identity, right? It's part of their culture, something they care deeply about. Um, but, But the vendors that we work with that are the most successful are the ones that really try to understand what it is that we're purchasing, like what our company needs, and are willing to provide that service. And if they do that, then we will buy it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of right. a simple concept, right? but but we're not necessarily looking to be told what to buy. We, you know, we have clients, we know what they need and we're trying to supply that to them. And those are the vendors that we work with, like I said. So we don't really run into that in, in our relationships with the vendors that we work with because that's what they're already doing, right? But I think for someone getting started, or who's trying to build a freelance career, that that's important. Like find your niche, of course, and, you know, become an expert at what you do. Absolutely. Um, but if, if you're getting a lot of job offers for, I don't, I don't know what a good example is post editing machine translation and not so right. many for full human translation. And you're thinking of your business as a business, like you can do that. You can provide post editing and you can do it at, very high volumes, most likely as you, you know, get better at it. And I think you're yeah. going to make a lot more money that way. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, that I get, I don't know if that counts as a hot take, but absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, and many, um, many um, freelancers fail for that reason that they can't, they can't identify what, what the need is. They yeah. want, they, they feel they're good at one thing and at one thing in particular and often um, overlook um, what the, what the client or the uh, um, needs and, and aren't willing to provide it, even though they might say they do. So um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's it's really it's, important. It, it's, it can make the difference. I mean, it is really possible to be successful as a freelance translator. You know, we see that every day and yeah but it's all about getting that clientele and helping them help and get them what they want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just to, to kind of, um, you know, throw my, uh, um, my endorsement on that hot take is I remember when I first started, um, I would, I would pretty much take any work that I could get, um, which is probably typical for most translators, but over time, and this is what I teach my students as well is that you want to specialize in, in, in a few domains and not a bunch, but a few domains. And, um, and over time, you know, at the beginning, you might have 20 different clients that you're working for at any given time. 
And what I have found, at least my experience is now I work for just a couple that I do exactly what I want to do. And I am able to provide or not what I want to do, but is very interesting to me. And I can provide exactly what the, my, my client needs in particular. So, yeah. Um, and so I don't have a lot of, as a freelance translator, I don't have a lot of um, um, a big client base. I work with a select few that I can really service very well and make, and make great money for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, Tyler, where, where can people find you on social media or wherever? Yeah. So I'm not really active on social media, unfortunately, but I do have, you. A LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. You know, I love to connect with people there. Um, That's a great and, place and, to connect. Those relationships. And then I do have a website. It's just tylersmith.io. Uh, you won't find much about translation there. I've I've got a, you know, in my my nights and weekends, I do some consulting with people on their personal finances. So I'm a budget coach. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. I might have to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to stop by and <laughs> um all right. Tyler, I appreciate it. Um really a pleasure to get to to meet you and, and talk to you for a few minutes. Yeah, um, likewise. I, I hope we get a chance to rub shoulders again, um, maybe sooner than later. Um, if you're going to an event or um, I can be of assistance assistance to you in any way, um, I hope you'll let me know and, and uh, see if we can make that happen. So absolutely. Well, thanks for the, thanks for the invitation and same goes to you. Appreciate it. This has been life in translation. Thank you for tuning in and staying up to date with the latest trends in translation and localization. If you like what you heard, subscribe to LIT wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more, check us out on YouTube as well. Thank you.